Welcome to Worship at Grace Lakin. This service was recorded on October 30th, 2022. Pastor Rem Dias brings a gospel message from the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 5, verses 1 through 16, titled, Honor Instead of Hinder. Welcome everyone to Grace Lakin. I will start off by reviewing our mission statements. It is by grace we are rooted in the gospel, and we are together since the love of Lakin and the nations. That would please, please rise and join me in the call to worship. Today's call to worship is based on Psalm 33, verses 1 through 5. I will read the unfolded portion of the leader in the Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him with his song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love. As we continue through the sermon series in First Timothy, all about the church, as a church, Thank you. 
think about that. The Lord Most High has bowed down low and poured on me His glorious love. Like, that's what we just sing. Like, isn't that not what we gather for to know? This God, I mean, the God of the universe bowed down low to know us, to redeem us, to show us His love. I mean, goodness, that is so good. Thanks, guys. Um, well, we, we come to a time of renewal, so if you have your worship guide, go ahead and open it up. Um, read from Leviticus. That's always good. Uh, we, we get to read from Leviticus. Um, all scripture is inspired, even the book of Leviticus in Bible reading time. Just get through it. It's great. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 1834. Here we go. It says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You shall not treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I love the last refrain, I am the Lord, I am the Lord. He says it twice. Like, why are you to treat each other with this type of radical love? It's because I'm the Lord, and I said, this is good for you. So, as we, as, as we just take a time of silent prayer and confession, just giving uh, the Lord uh, any sin, any trouble, any pain, um, let, us, let us remember that our God is the Lord, and He is good, and He is willing to forgive you for for anything that you come to him with honesty this morning. So let us just take that time of silent prayer and confession now. Help us to hear from you, to, to know you, to, 
to leave here with you just being bigger in our lives. That maybe our circumstances are not changing, but you're bigger, and so that we can face anything. Because as the text says, you are the Lord. And so we're grateful. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. The assurance of our pardon comes from Hebrews 10, uh, 14 through 18. It says, For by a single, I love that word single, turn to ask. Great, you didn't have to make another one. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sin and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. I love that. You just confess something. Don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. That I would, he says, I remember their sins and their lawless deeds in my Amen. So let's stand and we're going to sing a new song. Okay. Yeah, we're going to stand. We're going to sing a song that is new to this congregation uh, called There Is One Gospel. And uh, as we've been going through this sermon series and Rev has been taking us through 1 Timothy and the church, I think. Every every time, there's so many times it's coming back to there is no gospel. This is what we're, we're founded on as a church, and this is what we're, we're uh, this is why we gather together for the gospel. Um, and so this scene, this song seemed very appropriate to introduce in this sermon series because of what we've learning about the church. And I'm just going to read the first verse before we sing it. There is one gospel on which I stand for all eternity. It's my story, my father's plan, my son has rescued me. Oh, what a gospel, oh, what a peace, my highest joy and my deepest need, now and forever. He is my life. I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's stand together and sing about the gospel.
may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Oh man, I'm just close my Bible here. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been a wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse, but refuse to enroll in younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So, so I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after saving. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that they may care for those who are truly widows. How do you preach that? Alright, uh, there's a lot there. Um, I'm titling this message, Honor Instead of Hindrance. Honor Instead of Hindrance. Alright, I'm going to take Big stretch. Okay, you ready? Let's let, let's let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this amazing passage. We thank you that there is there is there is so much here, Lord. And I I am so thankful that it is not up to me to change the heart or my my persuasive words or how eloquent I can say. But Lord, I just pray that Holy Spirit asking you that I would just say what is here this morning. That our weight would be on the word. And we would be a church that would always be a church that we just we just want to just say what the Bible says. We just want to we want to hold the text up high because this is your voice. And I pray as we dive into this and we apply it to our lives, we apply it to our church that we would be a healthier church that would care for one another as family. And we would be a church that would not sit in these walls and yawn and 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 just look past physical needs in our own church and physical needs in Lakin and, and surrounding places where we would be a church that would have an abundance of mercy ministries. We would just be a church that would, would, would truly care for those who are in true need. And so, Lord, that takes wisdom. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us that wisdom. You would lead us in that way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, well, I, I went on a mission trip, my first mission trip ever. Uh, my, I think it was my senior year, or my junior senior year. And I remember going on this mission trip, and uh, we went over uh, to a foreign country, and it was really uh, an amazing time for me. Transformational time. I mean, anybody been on a mission trip before? Anybody? Get a couple hands. Okay, they're, they're really good. I, I hope we get to 
do that as a church body someday um, that we go on some mission trips together. It just gives you a lot of good perspective. But I, I remember uh, we were building a house. We were literally building a house for a pastor who his house was not in, in, in good shape. It was not in good shape. And we had, there's about 20 of us, uh, 20 youth who thought we could build a house. Uh, we had some direction. Uh, and, and But man, I remember this man I remember this man just standing there and just watching us uh, with his with his family the whole time, just watching us, just with his just grin on his face, smiling, just like almost tears in his eyes as we just built this house for him. Uh, and I remember the end of our trip was coming to an end, and like this guy had nothing. I mean, it just this family really had nothing. They had like a what I think you could call a house. It was like a shack. And they had, I just remember, a few chickens. Just a few chickens. I just remember there was just a few chickens. And, and they, they hardly had anything, really. And I remember at the very end of our trip, they made one of the most, it was an amazing meal. I still remember the meal. And I thought as I was eating, oh my goodness, they gave up. There were only chickens for this meal to care for us, to honor us, to, and I just remember they were serving this meal to us just with such joy in their hearts, honor in their hearts, like tears almost in their hearts. And I thought, oh my goodness, what a picture! I thought, what a picture of great love. And he, and they did it, and they did it because he, he's like, hey, you guys are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Of course I would do that. Of course I would I would give up you know, our, our only chickens to, to serve a meal to you. And of course I would do that. And I thought about that. And I thought about just, again, the, 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 just the image that just burned into my mind. This man just smiling and grinning and just giving us this food just with such, you could just tell, with such honor. And I thought, man, you know, that was a beautiful picture of that. But often I think we see, don't we often see people sometimes more, and, and we don't necessarily want to show them honor, but we often see people as hindrances. I mean, am I the only one? Like, often, like, you're, you're just in a way, I mean, a, a baby crying at 3 a.m. in the morning? All right? I, the, I don't know, but maybe this, I'm not jumping up like, yes, Lord, I cannot wait. Thank you for waking me up. This is great. Heavenly, like, come on here, let me get you. You know, thank you, know, we'll daddy up. No, it's like, ah. Or that person, maybe in the church, that you're just not really like, and you just might just see them, oh my goodness, every time. They're kind of like, they just, what if they need something? Oh, please don't have them ask me something. They're going to ask me something again. I don't uh, or maybe it's your boss. Don't look around. I don't know if some bosses are in here. Don't look around. And, and you just think, man, that person or your teacher. And often we see people as roadblocks, as hindrances, instead of an opportunity of maybe, maybe this. Showing honor, service, and love. Seeing them as an opportunity of the way that God wants to form us and grow us. And so chapter 5, you might be like, Chapter 5, really, this is what Timothy's doing. You want to know what Timothy's doing? It's like, Timothy, yo, um, if you're going to be a household, if you're going to be this, 
this great house of faith. And you're going to show love and care and respect toward one another. You have to show honor. There's a way that you actually function as a family that should radically change the way we do church. And so, how does Timothy help us to see the body not as a hindrance? And when I say the body, the church body, not as a hindrance, not as something I participate in, but it's something I am. Moving from hindrance and saying and, and into honor, love, respect, care for one another. Do you think we need that? You think that American church, a modern church, needs that? You bet. And and so we're we're going there. Is that okay? If well, if, if it's not, it's tough. That's what we're doing. All right. So verse one and two. Here we go. How we show honor. How are you moving towards this? Number one, if you're taking notes, again, uh, their worship guide does have an outline in there. Take notes. Yep, that's great. If not, we don't check for homework um, if you've done it. So, number one, we have to honor one another as family. Everybody say family. Okay, just make sure you're alive. All right. Paul starts by addressing how Timothy, again, is um, how, how we're going to relate to one another in relationships. And notice what he says. He says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. And now you might be thinking, wait a minute, uh, does that mean younger men, like older, older, older people in the congregation, we just never say anything to them? You don't ever want to rebuke them because they're older, they're always right? That's what it means. Let's move on. Uh, just kidding. That's not what it means. So here we go. This is what he's actually meaning. Um, because he can't mean that. He can't mean that because there is multiple times in 1 Timothy that Timothy is told to correct the false teaching. And the false teaching are these elders, and they're more than likely older at this point. So he's not saying don't ever correct, don't ever stop someone who is who is preaching or teaching or maybe off in a way um, of sinfulness. It doesn't mean that. Okay? Don't bend that. I actually, there have been people who've been that and say, hey, I'm an older person in the church. Don't, I'm always right. That's not what he's saying. The word rebuke, actually, you want to, I know the Greek, the word rebuke in the literal sense means this, to beat something or someone with fists. Okay, so Timothy, now, now, yeah, you can't punch. Okay, that means exactly you can't punch. But this is this is interesting because Timothy is what I, I. By the way, this letter has helped me. I'm a young pastor, okay, to a young church, and it's this has helped me. And I'm I'm, I'm a lot like Timothy. You want to know how to pray for me? I'm a lot like Timothy. I'm a little timid. I'm a little. Uh, I can't. You know, that's a little conflict. I can't go towards that. And Timothy is saying, okay. I mean, Paul is saying, Timothy, you're going to have to rebuke. You're going to have to correct older people in your congregation. And don't overcompensate because you're timid and you don't overcompensate by when you do it, it just boils up and then you explode and you just bazooka with your words. 
and your action. But he's like, Timothy, treat them as if they're your father. I read that and I was like, oh my gosh. I could not imagine rebuking my dad. Holy cow. Like, uh, my dad, my dad, like, he's a great dad. I had a great dad, great family. Great family was great. We had, by the way, last week was great. Vacation was great to see them all. No one, and we got through the whole weekend without fighting and talking about crazy theology stuff. It was great. Um, and, and so, but my dad, when he used my middle name, and kids, I don't know if you know, like, I use my kid's middle name, my, it's, it's all on. Like, my dad would just say, Remington Gerald, my knees would just buckle. And I look, you know, I could not imagine, could not imagine rebuking my dad. And so that's what he's saying. Timothy, when you are going to have, you're going to have to do this, Timothy. And younger people in the church, right now, listen to me, you're going to have to do, we're going to have to go to people who are older than us. It's intimidating. I'm like 33, like, I'm pretty young, and I'm every week trying to prove, he's like, hey, you're going to have to do this. And the way you do it, I want you to think, like, how would you do it? With, as if you're rebuking your father. With a gentleness, with a, with a, okay, I'm going to think through this. How am I, how am I, like, and how are you? How are you correcting people when they're wrong? Don't be quick to answer Are you a bazooka? You're wrong. I knew it. I knew I can't wait to just pounce. And here I'm going to pounce, and I'm going to just, uh, or are you thinking through? I love what Proverbs 12, 18 says. There, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. So you want to know, like, if you're constantly rebuking people, and you're harsh, rash, quick, quick, you're like sword thrusting them. It's not my words, it's just the Proverbs just said. It's, so there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. It does not say don't rebuke. But brothers and sisters, when we have to think through what you're saying so that we can bring healing. The point is healing. And so we say, Timothy, when you do this, you got to make sure how you do it. Think through it like a father. But then also, there's something here, and he says the same thing with the older women. He's like, older women, when you correct them, you encourage them. It's this idea of, you're going to have to do this with older people in your congregation, and as you do it, honor them. Show them respect that they deserve. And kids, I would say the same thing. This is sign up for kids, not my notes. We respect the old, I mean, that's, it. you want to give honor to those who are older than you. You want to give honor. It's biblical. And then so, also, he says here, uh, how, how else should this uh, idea of honoring um, uh, each other as family be fleshed out? And it's this. It would be very weird if a family was just made up of 30-something-year-olds. Really weird. Okay? My family is, a family unit is made up of all kinds of different ages. Hey, that's, and so I say that, and it's, it's a simple truth, but I think we need this in the church. Because look at me, older people, you need younger people. Younger people, look at me, you need older people in your life. 
being a, uh, it, 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 I just get irritated when, you know, you see, like, a congregation, oh, yeah, we're, we're young and slick, and we saw the young people, and oh, yeah, 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 it's just so great, because older people, when they come in, they just want to start doing things, and I don't like it, because older people are just, ah, listen, younger people, older people don't mess up the church. Your attitude is what messes up the church. And older, younger, we need each other. We need each other. We need each other so much. Uh, Shane last week, uh, he, you know, he, um, he was here last week and I heard he did a really good job. So don't critique my sermon based off of his, okay? He's been in the game longer than me. Be easy on me, all right? But I love it what he says. He's like, you want the younger people in your church jumping up and down? You want the younger people in your church jumping up and down? for the older people's songs, and you want the older people jumping up and down to sing the younger people's songs. This idea that, hey, we are, we're family. And I know I started thinking about this, and one of the best volunteers, the best volunteers I had in 11 years of youth ministry, and a lot of people think youth ministry, you need that, you know, you need to have a tattoo, and have skinny jeans, and you need to be real cool and work with youth. No, actually, those are some of the worst volunteers. You know what you need? You need a seasoned saint brother. And we had, well, I had a, uh, a 60, he was 64 years old. He was 64 years old. He had never had kids. And so I was like, oh my goodness. He came the first day and he was yelling at me and throwing balls. He's like, oh, this is not going to be good. This is not going to be good. Like, he's just grumpy. He's yelling at the kids. It's not good. Like, ah. Uh, but he ended up being our best volunteer. And the kids loved him. And you know, he, he was like one of my best friends. We hung out. Like he came over to my house and we hung out. And so why I say that is because we cannot, if we're going to be family, listen, you, there's something about someone who's, who's older than you that, you that you need to, and here's a real practical suggestion. Someone in this congregation that's older than you, just invite them over. Someone in this congregation, older people that are just younger than you, Buy them over. Break the bread together. This is what Timothy's saying. Because, man, this is the way that we are to function as family. We're honoring one another. Then Paul says, he says, younger men, I love this. He says, younger men, Timothy, you should treat them as brothers. And this is not like, hey, little brothers, which I was a little brother, any, any younger, oh my goodness. Like little brothers, let's shove them in the trash can. Ha ha ha. No, like this is like as equals. Brothers as equals, like you're my brother. And then he says even more younger women, Timothy, the younger women, you're to treat them and as sisters. But then he adds this phrase, what's it say? In all purity. Now hold it. This phrase means yes, you're to treat them as sisters and it's moral purity. It does mean that, but the Greek gives the idea of more of sexual purity. And so he's saying, hey, brothers and sisters, that, you know, in, 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 in the church, you are to, brothers, you are to treat that sister with all purity. What you're saying, how you're acting around her, in a way that you are honoring her. As a sister. It is our kids, 
uh, so our two older boys, and you know, we had a screaming one, oh, bless her heart, had it, and, and Ellie, and our older, our older boys, man, they are like the protector of their sisters. Like those, those girls, they slip outside for a moment, Gab is on the hunt. He is like, where are they at? I'm going to protect him. And like, he, he protect, like, it is awesome the way my boys, like, I can't wait to, you know, a, a, you know, a boy starts taking interest in our girls. I mean, oh man, I just can't wait. And that, like, listen, that, that, listen to me, we are to treat brothers and sisters in Christ. Like, look around, go ahead and look around. This is, men and women in this room, we're brothers and sisters. You are to protect, guard them, spur them on as you would your own sister. And so this is the language. Fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters. This is family language. This is intimate language. And this is Paul's language he's always using to talk about the church. He says, he, there's over a hundred, listen, there's over a hundred different references of Paul talking about, hey, we're brothers, we're sisters, we're fathers, we're mothers, we're family, in, in all of his writings. He doesn't know how to talk about the church without talking about it as a family in some way. I mean, even Jesus himself, when, you know, when he's dying on the cross, um, and he's, he's, he's saying, hey, John, take care of you know, my, my mother, in a way. And then also, he's, you see Jesus' language when he's like, Who, who's my mother's and who's my brother's? Who's my sister's? He says, hey, my mother's, I mean, my mother's, my brother's, my, my sister's, they are those who do the will of God. Those are my disciples. That's who my family really is. And so, church, conflict arises. It always arises within the church. When we lose sight of this, when we look at each other, at, when we look at each other as obstacles to our plan for what I want for church, but what diffuses conflict and strife and turmoil in a church is remembering that the people in the congregation are not just people that come and sit in the pew and that we all just do this thing on 9 a.m. together on Sunday mornings and uh, no, no, no. But you see each other as family. It takes time to get there. It takes time. But this is what he's saying we need to strive for. And I want to give you a reason why again. Because when we function as family, there's something about there's something about um, the church being a healthy body by loving each other, caring for each other as family, brothers, sisters. Hey, that's my brother. That's my sister. Yeah, I know he's he's done this and. But, man, that's my brother in Christ. And I'll tell you, like, I'm not going to speak ill because that's my brother in Christ. That's my sister. There's something about that that actually makes the love of Christ tangible to the world. Like, I can, I, here, let me just give you an example. I could tell you 
And like I do, like Jesus forgives you. Jesus is forgiving. Jesus forgives you. Jesus forgives you. But it's another thing for the world to see it. What I mean by that is, you know, we just keep offending one another and like hurt, like, man, I mean, we have conflict and we just keep forgiving each other. Like, wow, what in the world? Grace Lake and like those two people are so polar opposite and they've had conflict and people from outside of Lake are seeing it and they're saying, wow, they're still getting together and loving each other. What in the world is going on there? And what we get to say in that moment, it's the gospel. What we get to say in that morning, in that moment, is like uh, it's something outside of us. It's coming from outside. What binds us together, what moves us, is what Christ is doing. And the people look on and like, "Wow, that's amazing!" It becomes tangible. Are you tracking with me? I feel like everybody's like, "Ah, not really that interesting." No, this is great stuff. All right, um, and that's only two verses. Here we go. Now we're going to pick it up. So we honor each other as as family. As family. So you gotta see that. Second way, and we only have two points today, and this we're gonna really pick it up. We have to honor one another by caring for each other's needs. We have to care for each other's needs. Now, um, you can see in this section, it's a huge section on widows. How the church in this particular context is to care for widows. And we have to understand that this is a letter written in a particular context. Okay? The care of widows, well, it's, it's a lot different than uh, modern-day care for, uh, of widows. Like, back in this culture, to be a widow, okay, was, was I mean, very, very dangerous. Very, you could easily fall into complete economic loss or physical loss. I mean, women were, again, as we talked about maybe four weeks ago, they were just undermined completely and not like our modern day. We have a lot of different ways we can care for those who are widows. So you have to have that in mind. That's why he gives a lot of attention here. Um, but also, you have to have something also in mind here as we talk about this. And that that is God's massive heart for the orphan and the widow. I mean, you see it from Genesis, I mean, Genesis, to Revelation. He has got such a massive heart for those who are in deepest need. And at this time, widows were in deep, deep need. So Deuteronomy, let me just show you. Deuteronomy 10. Deuteronomy 10, verses 17 through 18 says, He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. That's what our God does. And then you see it in Luke 7 and, and, and Luke 18. Um, and then you see, as I mentioned earlier, John 19, Jesus again in his dying breath and saying, saying to John, hey, take care, take care of my mother. So he has a huge child, but the big one that I just love is Psalm 68, 5. Listen to this. Father, that means God, father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God, is God. In his holy habitation. This is the heart of our God. He sees those in greatest need, the orphan, the widows, those who are in the greatest need, and his heart desires to meet the need. His heart is to go for those in the biggest need, and so should the church follow suit. 
We do not young our ruler eyes at those physical needs. No, he said, this is my heart. This is in the heart of God. And notice though, now, the text is going to show us, it's really interesting what he does here. Because the text is going to show us those who are truly widows and those who are not truly widows. And maybe you, uh, hey, Timothy, that you should not help. Because to help them would actually be too hurt them. So he's going to give us some comparison here. We're going to go through this quick. So let's look at who are the true widows. What does the text say? Hey, this is who you should help, the true widows. So how do you know a true widow? Verse 5, she is left all alone. Verse 5, she is left all alone. Meaning, she does not have family to take care of her. There's no family. We're going to talk about the importance of the, of, of the biological family here in a second for care for the need. But right there, she is left all alone. Has, she has hope in God. And she is constant in prayer. So she is a woman, a widow, who is, who is seeking after God. But then we're going to jump down to verse 9. Track with me. We're going to do a lot of scripture real quick. Verse 9 is really interesting because verse 9 says this. Let a widow be enrolled. Circle that word enrolled. That word enrolled has caused a lot of debate, a lot of confusion. Because some on one end think that word enrolled means Hey, he's simply making, the church is simply making a list of the widows that they are to help. And that's true. I think there was a, there was a list that they were going to say, here's some true widows, here's who we're helping. But also, some think that this was a special list of the widows who are actually supposed to serve the church. So it wasn't just widow list of who we should help, but also there's a list over here of who's saying, now these are widows that are actually serving in the church. And he's going to give us, I mean, you can see the argument for that, the, these widows serving the church, because that it only intensifies. If you look at the, my goodness, if you look at the, the, the qualifications of being on this list, it only intensifies. And so I, I'm with a majority of some scholars who say, I think it's both and. I think it, the, the, the lists are both together. I think this is a list of, yes, of widows who we are, are called to help and, and support, but uh, also these are widows that are serving in the church, as everyone should be serving in the church, using their gifts. So, what, so as the list intensifies, let's continue to look about who are these true widows you're going to help. Verse 9 says, she must be older, so 60 years of age, uh, wife of one husband, all right, now that does not mean that she could have never remarried, but that just means, um, as it did in that first Timothy 3 text, that she is a one-man woman. That means she is a faithful, she's been a faithful woman to those who she was married. And then verse 10, it says, she has a good reputation of good works, brought up children, she's hospitable, and has washed the feet of saints, which is more fleshed out by caring for the afflicted. So it seems like a pretty steep list. I mean, a lot of us are like, wow, we all that. But basically, to sum it all up, here's what, here's what Paul said. He's like, hey, she is someone that doesn't want to just abuse the system of, of helping the church. She's someone that's truly in need, and it's reflected by a heart that serves and loves the church. Someone who's truly in need. But then, 
ah, these verses, verse 6 and verse 11 to 13, it's like, man, that seems super harsh. I mean, you these verses, right? I mean, you read it, it's like, my goodness, don't help her, she's self-indulgent, she's going to die. And then it's like, man, it's pretty harsh. But what he's doing, it's not harsh. What he's doing is actually protecting these women. Because to help them would be to enable them. Because here's what's happening. Here's the short summarization of those, those verses. These widows, okay, these widows who were young, and that they were just, if they were to just to give them more money, he says right there in verse 6, would only lead to more self-indulgence. To give them money would only be to enable, it would enable a lifestyle that was contrary to God to begin with. And he's saying, so watch it. And then he's, and then he goes on even more in 11 through 16. So here's these ideas of these, this is what was happening, these young widows. These young widows who were young, coming in saying, oh yeah, I'm going to be put on this list. And he said, to be put on that list, you have a desire to marry. You still have a desire to marry, but you want to be on this list so you know that like, I still want this financial help, so I don't want to be off the list, so I'm pursuing relationships outside of the covenant of marriage. Which is, that's what the text says, which is drawing them away from Christ and they were becoming lazy and busybodies and, I mean, and, and, and gossips. So he's saying, hey, hold it. Let us do, let us do this. Let us tell these young sisters in the church, we love you, we encourage you, but we want you to remarry. Have children. Have families. And, and so that's what he's saying. It's not a, we're not willing to help you, you just saw, but protecting them in that way. But notice, and this is huge, if you've been spacing out because that was a lot, then track back in. Notice who are to care for these widows, these people, these, these, those who just living first. Notice who's to care for them first. It's not the church. You catch that? Not my words, it's what the text says. Let's dive in. Look at it. It says, verse 4 If a widow has children or grandchildren, let them, everybody say it with me, first, say first. There you go. First, learn to show godliness, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. He's saying, hey, if there's a widow, if, there, if it's no one in need, the family, the biological family, they are to care for them. And then you're like, well, that seems like I don't really like that. And all that. Then, well, that's why he did some verse 8. He's like, Timothy, you better command this. You better teach this, you know, the family taking care of the family. Because verse, he says, verse 8, because if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially members of his household, has denied the faith and is worse than the unbeliever. Pretty steep there, Paul. Why is he so strong? It's because he said, hey, a unbeliever. A unbeliever knows how to care for their own family. They have the moral law written on them. I mean, they, they, they understand there's a moral conscience here. They even know how to care for their family. And if you, a believer, you say you've got the gospel deep into your heart, you are to key and, you, and you're all about that Christianity, and you're not caring for your own family? Whoa! There's something maybe 
are here. And so the practical application for us, listen, is I, I, I remember, um, so I just lost all my grandparents not too long ago, and I remember, oh man, our grandparents were in the hospital for a long time, and man, I saw just how much my mom and my dad and other ones were just constantly there, and siblings were there in the hospital and trying to do bills and thinking, I mean, and in those moments, it can seem like it's a hindrance. Caring for those in your family who are in physical need. And, 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 but this, listen to the text, it pleases the Lord. This is our response. It brings pleasure. It pleases the Lord to care for your family. So if there is a physical need in the family, guess what? Meet it first. Because in verse 16, he said, by doing this, by caring for families, caring for families, it's actually going to, here's what it's going to do. It's actually going to free up the church to actually care for those who actually need care. Are you tracking with me? All right. Now, how do we, how do we apply these verses even more to us at Grace Lake? Because again, it's widows, you're like, you lost one widows, I don't even know, that's a lot. Uh, Here it is. I'm going to land it for you. Here it is. We must be wise. We must be wise in our mercy mercy ministries. Caring for those who are in need. We must be wise in our mercy ministries. Seeing physical needs and meeting them as a church. But we never should grow cynical. Here's what I mean. As a young I, was, I think I started youth ministry at 20 years age. Can you believe that? Why would they let me, a 20-year-old, teach you that? I started youth ministry young. And I was all, man, you thought I'm chipping out. I was really out. Woo, I love ministry. Great, and I'm helping everybody. And I remember anybody coming to church, what I would do is like, yep, I'm helping you. You're perfect. You're, yep, I, you need help. You're honest with me. And I would just hand them money. And we go help them. And everything was great. And I thought I was the same in the world. And I remember one time that this lady came in. She's like, hey, I need, uh, I need some help for some beds. We don't have any beds around. And I said, okay. Oh, I was like, oh, I'll think about it. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go to the store. And I, I, I did. I stopped at my work the rest of that day. Went to the store. Got my little, you know, youth pastors drive the, uh, the church vans around. They look like a creep. And I did. I got them in. So I go to the store. And I got these mattresses. And, and, and I, I was like, man, this is so good. I'm going to show up at her house with these beds. And we're putting them together. We're going to bless this family. And I knocked on the door, and she, her eyes lit up. She was oh, I was like, oh, I'm so excited. Like, yeah, it's Pastor Brown. I got these beds. And she's like, oh, oh, um. And you could just tell she was nervous as all get out. Like, she was like, what do I do? And I was like, what? And I started thinking, like, do you need beds? And I walked in, and she had tons of beds. They had beds everywhere. Nice ones. And that moment, I was like, she just needed money. She didn't want it. She didn't want these beds. And I got, and listen, more time people came in, and I actually helped him. I remember helping this guy. He said he needed money for this, and he really didn't. I found it out. It calloused your heart. And if, listen to me, church, this is important. I feel like the majority of people have done that, and what we do, and I had to preach this to my heart, I started getting cynical, I'm like, I'm not helping anybody. They come in and tell me this story, I'm like, yeah, uh-huh, 
Mm-hmm. Sure. And then, you know, okay, I can get this. And I just started my heart. If we're not careful, our hearts will go cynical. And we'll think, oh, they don't, they just, they the system, I don't know, I gotta help them. And we justify in our heads not helping physical needs. Because our hearts are cold, callous. And that's not the heart of God. Church, that is not the heart of God. It, it, you know what the heart of God is? I love this, James 1.27. Religion, and that word religion, it's not how we think about that religion, but it's, 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 it's a true transformation of the heart. Notice the gospel. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows. It's God's heart. It's God's heart to help those in need. And listen, in our body first, that's what he's saying. Take care of the physical needs in your body. If there's someone in need, help them. Care for them. Do people even know that they have that here at Grace Lives? We, we will help you. Do you need anything? And, and, and then the same way, are we a church that's saying, you know what? Where in Lakin, again, are big physical need? Are people in need? Are there people suffering? And, and it's not just us, again, helping the needy. Is, and, and you look at this widow list. It's not just, hey, we're just throwing money at them. No, it's like, how can we enter into their lives to truly help them? That's the heart. Like, as we grow, my, my prayer, one of the things I pray for Grace Lake a lot is that we would see areas of greatest need in our congregation for sure. Like, are there people that, I mean, we care for each other. And then we would be praying. This would be our heart because, not because... I say so, but this is God's heart. Who are people in town? Who are neighbors you have in town? Who are blocks and, and, and what are we doing? It's not, it's not necessarily easy helping those that are in physical need. It's not. It's you know, poverty and, and, and helping and people. It's a complex issue. It's never just handy money. We have to be wise. But for us not to entertain that, for us not to ask the question, for us not to be praying, for us not to be asking, okay, as we, as we get ties and offering and we think about it, how, are we, how are we blessing, how are we thinking, how are we moving out, how are we caring for those? I think it, we, we were missing the mission of God. And so, we have to see, and, and if, if and I'm letting the point here. If you're like, well, I need some more motivation to do that. Because again, you're like me. It's cynical hard, guys. It's hard of helping people. And I don't know. It's all come. Remember what Christ did for us. Like, we were all, and we are all, listen, in spiritual, deep, Mean. We were orphaned and we were left alone, and the Lord decided to say, I 
want to come down and redeem them. I want to, I want to take their, their greatest needs and I'm going to take that need in their heart and I'm going to die for it on the cross and I'm going to redeem them and so that then they can also be family. And this people, it's going to be amazing. I'm going to die for these people. I'm going to, they're going to soak in my love. They're going to know me. And what's going to happen as they do that is they're going to start calling each other brother and sister. Father and mother. They're actually going to start coming together and caring. And as they do, and they start reflecting upon my love and begin remembering what I redeemed them out of, they're going to be thinking, how can we help redeem people out of that too? That God's actually called me, filled me with the Spirit so then I can help bring others into this family. And family, this is what we call the church. This is what we call the church. And so if you have heard anything, remember this is what Christ calls us to, not to call each other hindrance. Or hindrance. But move toward each other with honor. Love, respect, and care. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word, and we're so thankful that it does all the work. I pray that, Father, you would give us wisdom in this area. And, um, Jesus, I pray that uh, you would just go before us. Just go before us. Here. And, Lord, I also just pray that, that Jesus, you would Just lead us to people this week, maybe even in our own body. And Lord, if we have missed it in our own body, forgive us. But help us to see those visibly and meet their physical needs as, as wisely as we can. But then also that, Lord, we would see the true being of all of us as the spiritual. And that Jesus, by your life, by your death, by your resurrection, you have met that need. You have satisfied your heart and soul. And so, Jesus, I pray that you turn from those self indulgent ways and clean again to you. And move out as family. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, when we come to a time of tithes and offering, and Lord, it's not up here. And you can see the passage there is Acts 2, 44-47. It says, All the believers were together, all the believers were discerned, all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to one another as they had need, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I love it. The early church was doing this. They saw each other's and were selling their possessions and were helping each other in need. And so, um, if it is in your heart to give, uh, there's a black box as you exit the sanctuary on your left. Um, I encourage you to, to do that for your good, to give to the, again, exactly what I was preaching, the needs of the church, but also uh, there's ways to give online there too if, if, you, if you do that. But if you would stand and you would join us in our closing song, and we'd love to
for joining us at Grace Lakin. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Grace Lakin KS, on YouTube, and at gracelakin.com. Mm-hmm.